Hello and welcome to Dungeoneered, a podcast dedicated to discussing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. Let's do this. Okay, so Josh, for Lukewarm Open today, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the everyone's favorite beloved show, Critical Role. And I know that it is a favorite show of yours as well. And last week's episode, Hold did on. you watch last week's episode Dude, first? I have watched so little of this season, I just stopped caring. And I was like, I'm just going to not. I'm good. Oh, no. Yeah, I was there for a little while. So I haven't I watched in like... Bit, but I kind of came back. What episode are they on? Boy, that's a great question. I think it's like 30-something. I don't remember. Oh, well, I'm, I stopped 30? at like 13, probably. No, sorry. It's probably more like 6. So I'm quite yeah, a ways I, back. Uh, I, had a pretty, I had a pretty big break with it also. I don't know why. I Because I really like it. I love like Thursday nights watching Critical Role is like a tradition for me now. So I really enjoy yeah. it. But I kind of took a big break. But I've been back uh, as of like two weeks because I had a long vacation and I was able to kind of catch up and watch over that vacation while driving. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got to re-catch up. But last week, there's no spoilers for anybody who's nervous. But last week, they did a very fun, I guess you could say mini game within D&D. Like a very fun... Um, and you love your mini games. So yes, a dice game within a dice game in, in D&D. And I love them. And I know we've talked a little bit about like stuff like this before in the Grom Opens, but today I kind of wanted to ask and talk about um, if you have made any kind of mini games within D&D and how you like to run them, if you like to run them at all, because I know some people don't like them at all. I know I've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, uh, I had a kind of like um, Las Vegas loosely based city. So there's a lot of like gambling places and it kind of had a crazy nightlife and stuff. So I went through and all the games that were written in D and D like that you can have proficiency in and such. Like I was oh, like, yeah, like okay. Dragon chess or whatever. Yeah. Like dragon chess and those things. And I was like, okay, these things are clearly games in the world. These would probably be at casinos. So first off, if they want to engage in them, I need to have rules for how we would do that so i created one for all the in-game things you can be proficient in how did you how did you go about doing that is it just like rolling dice what's the yeah. uh, what's the catch there well so the different there's there's dice and then there's modifiers so like dragon chest gets your intelligence modifier added to it but mine is you roll a d20 a d12 Add those together, then you minus a D8 and a D4, and then you add your intelligence modifier. Because So it's interesting, you know, that you talk about it, because, I don't know, I have a hard time with um, minigames in D&D, so I have a million of them, um, and you guys have played them in the campaign, and we've talked about them on the podcast before. I have a bunch of little fun minigames that have to involve circuses and circus games and gambling games and stuff like that, because I think they're really fun. But I have a really hard time balancing, like, um, luck with, like, proficiency in a game, or, like, you know, stats in a game. So, like, Dragon Chess is a really good example. So it's like, do I just roll and add my intelligence modifier and I just win then? Or like like if it's a card game and I'm proficient in cards, do I just roll and then add my proficiency for the card game? Or do I 
you know, have a different, you know, because card games are pretty luck-based. So do I roll dice first, like, see what cards you get, and then roll intelligence-based stuff? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the problem I always have with mini games. Mine, almost always, they're contested. So you're rolling against most often the, the DM as whatever NPC you're playing against. But, like, it... it so it really depends on the quality of the other person and their roles to whether you'll be successful. Yeah, I mean, I usually end up going with like a you roll a couple D6s or whatever, and then you roll, you know, like just to kind of have some chance of luck within the game. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing I want to talk about, so in Critical Role, they did a really fun and interesting one, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it. They essentially did pod racing in D&D, &D, and I really want to talk about um, how you run mini games in the sense of like a combat. So a combat that's not a combat, but is a combat. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know if these rules were made by Matt or if they were the ones that already exist in D&D? Oh, that is a great question. I have no idea. Because I, I, I don't I'm have sure the book next to me because you didn't bring this up beforehand, so I couldn't prepare. Um, but in... Uh, they actually have rules in it? In the Tomb of Annihilation book, they have uh, dinosaur races that you go through this, the town, and they have the, these whole rule system for doing these races. So if it's the, if the pod racing, they just use those rules, that is very possible. Oh, it must have been. It might have been what it was. Because um, essentially what he did is he had everybody roll initiative. Mm -hmm. And he broke up the the combat, in quotations, heavily in quotations, <laughs> into, like, sections. Um, mm -hmm. Where he had the beginning of the race with some interesting things that happened during the beginning part of the race. The middle part of the race where the main portion of the combat occurred where, like, actual combat occurred, mm -hmm. and then the final portion of the race. And in each little section, he had little obstacles that the players had to kind of avoid and get around during this race. And, and know, like, did their, like, traps, steeds avoid... have different stats based on, like, oh, this one's faster, yes. this one's stronger, this one's... Yeah, that, yeah, sounds, a lot like, that got... sounds a lot like the Tomb of Annihilation system. Um, and it's... Yeah, a... it, it's It's got to be at least similar. Yeah. At least inspired by... Yeah, here's by... the dinosaur racing rules. Yeah, but... I, you know, he. I don't think he got into a lot of different stats within the machines that he had, the yeah. vehicles that he had. But there were definitely some, because some had better AC, some had more health, some had, depending on what, you know, you were doing with them. Yeah. It was really interesting, and it made me think about, in my campaign, I have a lot of, well, not a lot. I have uh, a pretty big major game in my world that, I've never nobody in any of my games has ever played and I've always wanted somebody to make like a character based around it and it's called Sky Sail Racing. Yep, um, you've talked about it a few times. I, it's I, in I, Raven something in the Yeah, North. well it's it's everywhere, but yeah, yeah, I actually stole it from Star Wars from Pod Racing cuz I really like Pod Racing. And um even though it's like really corny in Star Wars, but I think it's a really fun and interesting idea. But I was just curious if you had anything like that, any races or anything like that that you have done or did do in D&D. Um, uh, I have found that my party gets, defines those as irritating, those types of things. So every time I've created yeah, the I, I opportunity, 
every time I've created the opportunity and then created rules for it, they don't engage with it. So I'm like, well, if they don't care for it, then that's fine. So I am like, okay, well, then I'll just stop creating that type of of encounter because they don't enjoy it. It's not something interesting to them. Um, and I think it's partially yeah, I mean, because it doesn't feel like if it's just like this thing you encounter in a city, like it doesn't feel like you're going. It doesn't feel like there's a purpose. It feels like you're wasting time. And it, I know as a player, I don't like that. Like, yeah, oh, cool. There's this there's this little encounter, this little thing you could do. But it's like if it's not helping me solve the get to the next stage or solve the problem i don't know if i really want to engage with it like if it was like some sort of a contest where by winning the contest we are gaining favor with somebody or we're doing like it has some sort of value to it then i think i would be more interested in it rather than it just existing so i should enjoy it yeah see that's kind of what i where i wanted the conversation to go because um Again, I always have issues incorporating them in a way that just doesn't feel like, you know, meaningless. And there is a time and place for those meaningless, fun things. There, mm-hmm. there absolutely is in D&D. Um, as a, a player, I am very ADD as a player. And yeah. I really, I go everywhere. I do everything, <laughs> even if it doesn't make any sense for the story, right? Mm. If the DM drops something... I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much how I play D&D, um, just because I think it's fun. Um, so there is a time and place for those things, but um, what I liked about Critical Role so much was not necessarily that, um, not so much necessarily that it was just, you know, a fun mini game, sort of, so to speak, but that it had pretty big story significance. Mm-hmm. And um, Did you want to talk about how combat. to make that? We definitely can, but um, it just mixed up combat in a way that didn't feel like it was just a traditional combat. So, um, and I think we've talked a little bit about it too, is that in Critical Role, I like to skip a lot of combats um, just because like, I don't know, I find the combat aspect of anything in D&D, even when I'm playing to be the most boring part of D&D. I love combat aspect, but I just find the role play and the you know story elements more interesting so i end up skipping but this one i didn't end up skipping because i really really enjoyed it because it was just a different take and a different twist on combat Mm -hmm. um and so i kind of wanted to talk to a little bit about how you incorporate a different twist on combat in a way like connecting into a storyline right to make it so it doesn't feel like it's this meaningless mini game or this meaningless, you know, side thing that you don't need to be doing. I mean, if you're talking about combat in particular, the way I I mix it up and make it feel like there's more to it than just a regular combat is making them be protecting somebody. So it's not just like, oh, run up and hit the person. It's oh no, if I if we all run up, then we're leaving these people exposed behind us. And like we can't like we're trying to transport them. They're trying. You're going to give us money or they're going to they were helping them for a purpose. So us not protecting them would be a problem. Yeah. What about like using the rules of combat 
to do something that isn't combat. Does that make sense? I'm not sure how I want to ask this. Um, well, I mean, like I'll do turn-based things, um, like, uh, um, them trying to escape something. And so I kind of turn it ah, into okay. turn-based, like, oh, everything's crumbling around you. We're going to literally have a battle mat and you're going to have to r- run your minis across this thing before any of you fall into the holes. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me, I, and we may have talked about this too. I know we've done so many episodes, but um matt colville has like an interesting fun thing that he loves to do where he does like skill challenges i think is what he calls them skill challenges he has like yeah where he has like events that take place and the group has to figure out how to get over these skill challenges and if you get x amount of fails compared to x amount of successes you either fail or pass and then yeah it's three combat happens or something yeah something negative happens and then i think he changes those based on the difficulty of you know the events that occur yeah so like if you get two i mean some of them they can also it's also just an interesting way to make travel more interesting like he like you just say okay you're going through this forest how are you going to help your team get through this forest and then you they can only use his ruling is you can use any um ability any skill that you are proficient in you just have to describe how your proficiency in that is helping the party. So like, yeah, you can even go are, weird with it. Think, if you can like, if you can explain your thinking on why you think that should help, then he's like, that. that's okay. Well, I think too, that that in and of itself counts as kind of like a, a mini game, so to speak. It's not a mini game, but like it's a, it's a thing within the game that you're using certain mechanics that mm-hmm. aren't just, you know, combat or not just like role playing, right? You're like trying to solve a problem, you know, with a series of dice rolls that feel like a combat, that feel like, you know, something that's part of the game. Yeah. But it's a total mix up from what you're used to playing. And I love that kind of stuff. I was just watching um, the new um, Vampire the Masquerade uh game that they're starting on the um, World of Darkness YouTube channel. Uh, this is the one with Abria Iyengar um, called yeah, New yeah. York by Night. And it's fantastic, by the way. It's it's still Jason Carl, who's the crea- one of the head creators of 5th uh, edition Vampire the Masquerade. And an incredible... Uh, I don't know what... I forget what they call it. If it's just GM or whatever they... The, game runner is but he's fantastic and so there was a point where one of them was chasing a a person that had a briefcase that they wanted and so he just said hey we have you have three turns and then this guy gets away so like you have three turns to figure out how you're going to catch up or do anything and so i like that it kind of it was like it gave them yeah the end goal of you have three turns do what you will yeah and that's really fun because it's a total mix-up on like your standard combat right so instead of doing like a combat where you're shooting at him and trying to fight him or whatever while he gets away you know you have this amount of time to figure out using whatever skills or things you want to do to try and stop this guy from getting away which i think is really really fun and kind of a unique twist that i don't think happens enough during D and i I definitely need to be better about, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Mm. I really like the skill challenges thing a lot. I think the skill challenges things are really fun. It's just can be difficult to incorporate into a game for me. When, mm-hmm. You know, there's just 
so I mean, there's so much other stuff that you can, you know, you can do. But I think, you know, especially those like escape scenarios, you got to escape a city, like, you know, a bunch of guards are chasing you or, you know, the temple is collapsing type mm-hmm. stuff. Those are really fun to do skill challenges and different, you know, things. Yeah. In. Well, I think I'm going to cut off the lukewarm open here and we're going to let's do it. Go into the topic. Now, this week, our topic is inspired by something that just came out. And it's the trailer for the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor Among Thieves. Now, there's a lot of cool. Yeah. There's a lot of cool things that happen in this trailer with lots of monsters rendered beautifully, and interesting cast. But the thing that stuck out with me the most is is something in particular that I was like, I want to know as much as possible about this thing. But before I get into it, Aaron, I had you watch it, the trailer before just to make sure that you had some context could could you speak on what you feel after watching the trailer yeah um there's a couple things that i wanted to touch on about it um and i actually wanted your opinion a little bit about it too um because i know there's been a somewhat of a mixed reaction among the D community about it i mean it really the main mixed reaction is the main mixed reaction is from jerks that are being rules lawyers yes <laughs> it's mostly good it's mostly yeah, hey no. that's interesting <laughs> yeah i'm excited no, to see it no exactly well the first thing is that i'm, I'm excited i think it's super cool i love that D is getting a bigger spotlight and the reason i even say that is like my brother so me and my brother are really close and he actually texted me about it and he was like oh my gosh did you see this this looks so awesome and i was like yeah it is i can't wait <laughs> Um, so, you know, it just gets people into D&D who have never seen D&D before. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, it kind of makes you want to play d and I've never done it before. And I was like, yeah, you do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I think that's really, really cool. Um, I just think any chance that you can get, you know, D&D into the spotlight to get more people. I also it's think it's such a fun game that it's it's going to be better than like. Uh, trying to make like a, a video game movie or a book yeah. movie, because the reason why those suck so much a lot of times is because they're trying to condense all this thing that was not made to be in a few hours format into a few hours. Yep. And oh, so yeah. with D&D, the whole point is you're always making your own story. And the time that game movies and stuff are successful is when they make their own story in the world. Yeah, I think it's a perfect format for it. I mean, just look at, you know, again, to bring up Critical Role, just look up, you know, the animated series they did, and it fits perfectly. Even though they had to condense a lot, it still fits perfectly into the format of a show mm-hmm. or a movie or anything like that. Yeah. So um, I think it's a perfect fit. Um, the other thing that I really enjoyed about it, and um, it will get into my third point a little bit as well, but um, it felt very D&D to me. <laughs> like, it felt... It felt like peak D&D, you know, um, one of the lines in the trailer talks about how, um, you know, we've caused this issue and we're going to fix it, but well, you know, we'll figure it out, you know, we'll figure it out later, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, we'll figure just, out how we do just, that later. <laughs> yeah. Maybe over drinks. Maybe peak D&D. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's another part I really loved about it was that it really felt like a D&D party you know, these four rando people getting together and they've caused a horrible disaster of some kind from doing, you know, stealing a magical item or doing something like that. And now they got to fix it. And, you know, 
we're just gonna wing it as we go because if that's not if that's not D, i don't know what is to be honest <laughs> well um but the- it brings me to my third and final point really quick too is that um it seems and i don't know if this is a really good thing or a really bad thing um or totally neutral but it seems very stereotypical D&D as well. So like the bard seems like a very stereotypical bard. The barbarian seems like a very st- stereotypical barbarian. Just from the trailer that I watched. Seems very, very stereotypical. But she doesn't seem stupid. And I kind of like it. No, no. But I, Which I like. like it. <laughs> I like that she's not. Yeah, they're, no. They're not playing but, up no, the I dumb kinda... barbarian archetype. No. No, but it's still kind of that, like, you know, mean, strong barbarian lady, you know? And, like, I don't know. I kind of like the stereotype, though. I kind of enjoy it, and I think it's fun. I still think it's fun. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Those are my kind of three basic thoughts that I had yeah. about it. Well, Besides that, the villains and magic items look really cool and are really well, well designed and rendered. And this is, this is, so this is the thing that I, I wanted to, that stood out to me, and I know, Aaron, because we've talked about something similar. I know because we've talked about something similar on the podcast before that you will enjoy this as much as I did. There was a scene with a beautiful dragon Mm -hmm. that was blowing. It's a red dragon, adult red dragon. It was blowing this fire across this like bridge or something as the party's running across. And this dragon was quite chunky, you could say. (laughs) and we talked about and loved the chunky dragon that was in fizz bands when we talked about that so we already have set up our love for chunky dragons on dungeoneered yep oh heck yeah and i began to research upon seeing this beauty i was like i need to know who this everything about this dude um oh no and the D&D community seems to have fallen in love with him as well. And also we're talking about, okay, who is this? Who do we think this is? Is this someone from the lore? Is this not? And the general consensus that we have at this moment is that this is most likely the adult red dragon from the campaign setting Out of the Abyss named Themberchod. Or the Wormsmith <laughs> of Gracklestug. Ah, yes. <laughs> Now, before we go into details on the dragon, we're going to talk about Gracklestug. It was also known as the City of Blades, and this city was an underdark city ruled by Duragar. I'm going to read the description from the city from the Forgotten Realms wiki. Gracklestug was a cavern city and subterranean port. It had smelters and foundries mingling among stalagmites. The air smelled acrid and was filled with the industrial sounds, fire, steam, and iron ringing. The city was lit by firelight. This city, if you can't tell from the name and from the description, is known for its incredible craftsmanship, especially in terms of their weapons. This was aided by our friend, Themberchod. Themberchod. I love his name so much. It literally is spelled... It's like one letter off from being spelled the Ember Chad. I know it just kills me and I love it. It kills me so much. (laughs) Themberchad would keep the fire of the forges burning at incredible heats and perfectly tuned for the craftsmen. For the simple payment of treasure, food and slaves, which were a mixture of both of the previous two options. Now, 
Dragons are fickle creatures and greedy. And the Duragar knew it. So they worked very hard to kind of gain the ally Themberchod and keep him kind of docile to an extent. As much as you can with a dragon. Gotta Origi- make chonky. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> Originally, the gifts were enough to get Thembertrod on their side, but they knew that this wouldn't last. A dragon's greed would make it incredibly difficult to keep them happy for long periods of time. So, for a while, they gave incredibly large amounts of food, more than gold or treasure. In doing this, they began to see the effects of their actions, as Thembertrod grew larger and larger and more lethargic, becoming the chunky boy that we see him as today. <laughs> yes. Despite his body growing slow and his mind did not slow, his mind continued to greed and lust for more things. Thembertrod grew unhappy in the service of these Durgar, wanting more and more. He even wanted to take over the city and have them all subservient to him. Now, Thembertrod was not... as a dragon would. Yes, as most dragons would. Thembertrod was not stupid. He knew what the Durgar were doing, or at least he thought he thought he did he had most of it pretty much understood now before we get into what the Durgar were actually doing I kind of have to provide a little bit of backstory one of the things that Thembertrod was either given as a treasure or maybe he it maybe it was his own we it's it's unclear as how he got this but he tre- he had and treasured a red dragon egg It's unclear if he just found it or if it was biologically his, but he had it. And it became a major prized possession of his that he just loved in his hoard. And he treated with as much respect as you would for a child. Um, In the end, it was stolen by thieves. Specifically a thieves Uh guild. And Thembertrod was furious. But what he didn't know... Don't get the chonky boy, boy mad. But what he didn't know was that it being stolen actually saved his life. It was a good thing for Thembertrod. Because the Duragar were planning to use the egg to replace Thembertrod. Because what they, they... Thembertrod was not actually the first time they had done this. What they do is they take a red dragon, create this deal with them, keep them happy and fat for as long as possible. Then once he gets a little unruly, they kill them and replace him with a younger red dragon. And so now the group that was keeping him in place didn't have that red dragon replacement. So they needed to either find the egg or find some replacement. In the time that they, after that it was stolen, the keepers, the people that kind of kept Thembertrod, began to... You know what this kind of reminds me of, to yeah. interrupt you? Have you ever heard the story of Darth, Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> I, I don't see how this relates. <laughs> I don't either, I just had to. Anyways, continue. <laughs> You're bringing up Star Wars a lot this episode. 
I am. I am. I like Star Wars. Well, so that's something I did want to bring up, but I guess I'll bring it up in the middle of the episode very weirdly. Um, I kind of no, want the next two or three Denver episodes. Chad was going to die. I want the next two or three episodes to be on Star Wars. But the Ooh, problem is the topics I want to okay. talk about require such previous knowledge that I want to go through each one. Because I've been playing I've been KOTOR. And I have been just oh, have you? diving into Star Wars lore, specifically the ones around the KOTOR games. And it's so freaking good. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I've been in a weird place of YouTube the last, like, I don't know, maybe two weeks now of I watched a Star Wars short and now I'm getting like a million Star Wars lore videos. So now I'm like totally invested in Star Wars lore. So okay, we have, to, we have to we have to talk about this after the podcast. I have so much to <laughs> okay, talk to you about, my okay. friend. So much. Okay. Oh, man. Anyways, continue on the Ember Chad. So these keepers of Thember Chad were keeping him were were had like always had protection to kind of watch Thember Chad, but also to say, hey, no, these guys are here to protect you. Once the egg was stolen, they needed to send more of their people out to find this thieves guild to find where this stolen egg went. They had to pull off a bunch of the people that were watching Thember Chad. So Thember Chad was a little bit more free to do as he pleased for a while in doing so they began to hire people to kind of fill in this position and in the case of the campaign setting um or the campaign um out of the abyss the people that would be hired for this position would be the players and what thember chad would do is that he would try and convince the players hey can we like can you help me take over this Durgar city? And so it's not there's no lore written about what actually happened because it's part of a campaign. So they can't really say whether he was successful or he failed. But that is where the lore leaves him having tried to co- talk to these mercenaries that were hired to quotation marks defend him into turning on their masters. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Yes. And I think he's just a great, interesting, chonky boy. And so I thought, well, we could talk about this week, which is something I don't think we've talked about in any of our settings, but I think is very important for a setting is in, especially for a setting in Dungeons and Dragons is what's the origin of dragons in our world? Like, how do they come to be in this world? Are they descendants of a god? Are they beasts that just kind of become this sentient magical monstrosity? Like, how how does dragons happen in our world? Yeah, and that's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty big uh, part of Dungeons and Dragons. It very much is. It's almost like it's in the name. To understand. Well, I think... I want to do something a little bit different this week. Then I think um, I want I want us both to explain our current worlds, how dragons came about. If you have that in your world, because I think that'd be interesting first, and then we'll we'll decide how we want it in this world. Does that sound cool? Okay, so you're saying we talk about how how it is in our world first? Yeah, because it's kind of the first time we've ever you know gone yeah. into it. So it might be fun just to kind of take a look at some. I don't know your have, so. world's origin of dragons, and I kind of would like to know. <laughs> yeah, so. it'd be kind of important. <laughs> yeah. 
As a dragonborn um, worshiper first, of a dragon god in your world, I would like to know more. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I want, I want, I want you to go first though, because I don't know how long mine's gonna be, and I want to be able to cut it short if I have to. <laughs> See, I want to gather my thoughts. That's why I want you to go first. <laughs> oh, you want me to go first? Yes. I mean, I can, I can easily go first. Um, so, um, when I originally sat down to create dragons in my world and like kind of their origin um i was kind of looking a little bit at stat blocks and how dragons seem to be virtually the same strength as many you know really high level entities so even like some deities some dragons are you know even stronger than some deities so um i kind of had to start from a place where um due to the like limitation factors that DD gives you kind of like well these dragons can grow up to be very powerful and very mm -hmm. strong um and you know if left unchecked they can be some of those powerful entities in the universe so um my world is broken up into creation eras um these like long periods of time that um the gods created entities and creatures um during these creation periods um they ended up creating dragons and dragons ended up becoming too powerful for the gods to control. Um, like over 9,000 powerful. What? Like over 9,000 powerful. Yes. 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 <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But what ended up happening is one of the dragons ended up rising up and rebelling against the gods because the dragons thought that they essentially thought that the world deserved to be free so in my world when the gods created races they created them as their armies their individual machines of war in order to take over the material plane um, so each god has their own plane that they control and command and during that time they created their whole armies in their planes to then connect to the material planes and invade because they wanted to be able to control all the vast amount of resources in space that the material plane provided. Um, so it turned into this giant war between the gods and the demon lords, which are the evil set of gods. Anyways, huge battle occurred. Um, huge war occurred, mm -hmm. and the dragons began to believe, realize that we're powerful entities. Um, we're not even sure if we were created by gods or not or if we were created by our own deity. Um, so they kind of began to question their creation story, um, which is still somewhat unknown today. Um, so dragons began to question the authority that gods and demon lords had over them. Then they began to question, well, shouldn't we all have this kind of freedom? Shouldn't every individual have the kind of freedom that dragons want and desire so they created their own races of dragonborn and things like that and rallied underneath the god of the dragons who is a god who is a dragon himself and they rebelled and fought against the gods of light and the gods of light were the ones who had victory over the demon lords in the first war the dragons led under this dragon god named karath defeated the gods of light sealed them away forever um uh, as, with the sacrifice of their dragon god being sealed away forever as well. Um, so the dragon god sealed himself away to give everyone freedom on the material plane. Mm -hmm. um, thus creating dragons. 
um, kind of creating the free version of dragons that we know. So there's a couple instances in my lore that dragons are created. First, dragons are created underneath the gods by the gods. However, dragons don't necessarily believe that, and it's not necessarily a fact within society, within the world. So the belief under the Church of Light is that gods created dragons. The belief in like dragonborn society, for example, um, especially dragonborn societies that are heavily in touch with their, you know, dragon ancestry is that dragons created themselves. So they had their own God, one of their own gods who's outside of the pantheon. That's Korath. Dragonborn. What? And that's Korath, you said, right? Yes. And that's Korath. Um, And then Korath freed all of humanity and civilization by defeating the gods of light with all of his ancient dragons and sealing himself away as a way of preventing the gods of light from ever controlling humanity again. Mm-hmm. So that's their kind of version. However, um, there's a big split in D&D between dragons, right? You have multiple you have multiple different types of dragons, and I've added more types of dragons in my world as well. Um, and that split happened after Korath um, sealed himself away. The dragons decided, well, who's going to rule over dragonkind, right? Who's going to rule over dragonkin? And that kind of broke the difference between um, chromatic and... Uh, oh, gosh, the other one's... My mind is blinking. Chromatic and... Metallic. Metallic. Um, dragons. So they ended up splitting and having this massive... I wouldn't say war, more of a disagreement between who should rule over who. Mm-hmm. Um, metallic went the way of, you know, a, a more friendly towards humanity, more accepting towards humanity, whereas chromatic went more towards domination over humanity. And that maybe humanity is lesser than us and they shouldn't actually be free. So they kind of split into two different groups. Then the third group, which is more along the lines of serpents. So Yuan-Ti is their uh, race creation um, and lizard folk are their race creation. Um, these like serpent figures. Um, they broke away as well from dragon kind and they have their own dragon kind. So those are sea dragons, which you guys have found in the campaign as well. Um, sea serpents, that kind of roam the deep. Um, those are their own dragon kind. Um, so there's even dragons in my world that do not fly and they just slither across the ground like a giant snake. Um, those dragons broke away because they did not like the discrimination they received from most dragons about their abilities to fly, to, <laughs> you know, all of these different things. So they also broke away from that and created their own individual kind. And that's kind of where we are today is this three these three groups that believe completely three different complete three complete different things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of the basic, really fast rundown of uh, dragon origins in my world, um, specifically starting from creation from gods. But dragons don't believe that that is the case, and they believe their own god created them. So, yeah. Well, How about you? Um, so. I'm currently in a post-apocalypse setting. Um, yep. <laughs> and the origin of dragons in that is nobody knows. Very few still remain, like three that the party sort of knows, but hasn't, like, they only met one. Yeah. And, like, that one was had gone mad over the just centuries of loneliness that it was not something they could talk to. 
and so they have not been able to know any sort of origin of dragons not a great answer i know but that is that is what it is yeah. for this current setting now i'm in the middle of creating two new settings and i got to figure out those origins yeah no and it's a i don't know for me even though D is so focused on dragons in a lot of ways it's really difficult to create dragon origins because they're so powerful and so like unique and intelligent that it's like do i really just want them to be created by a god <laughs> you know mm. um so in my world like i said it's it is partially an unknown answer but it just depends on who you ask. So if you ask the Church of, you know, the Church of Light, well, the Gods of Light obviously created dragons. If you ask the Dragonkin, well, obviously we created ourselves. Like, right? We had we had our own dragon entity. Um, there are even sects within the neutral god. So neutral gods. So there's multiple different pantheons in my world. Um, the neutral gods, the demon lords, and the gods of light. Those are the three main pantheons. Those are the ones that are known about and the ones that are accepted. Um, followed by the ancient one or Korath who is number four. So he's kind of, he's his own pantheon because the dragonborn essentially exclusively worship him. Um, so the neutral gods have their own theory that dragons existed along with the world. So they were essentially like primordials and they were, they were a forming force of the material plane and have existed this whole time. Um, so there's multiple different theories on how dragons are created. It just depends on who you ask. So, mm -hmm. so in our, season five world how do you see dragon creation going okay well this is a difficult question because yes. we have we have it such focused on you know gods and this like you know bouts of skill that it's very interesting very interesting to throw dragons in there um and i have a few ideas that could be fun. Um, one, dragons were created by the gods as the ultimate skill test to test one's abilities and to put on the best show, if that makes sense. So, like, a god versus a dragon is, a, you know, a difficult task and a fun task to watch. So that was my first thought. But I don't know if I'm satisfied by that. <laughs> yeah, know, that makes like, sense. So then my brain goes to we I kind of keep that idea, but it's more of a, an excuse for gods. So dragons have existed with the gods since the beginning of time, and the gods really can't do anything about them because they're pretty powerful. So they've just kind of turned it into a an excuse to promote their games. <laughs> right. So, yeah, um, where it's like dragons have always existed and have always been a thorn in our side and have always, you know, had their own. I always like the um, idea of accidental creations, like the most powerful creations being accidents that were not intended because they never wanted something that could actually challenge them. So, like, I like the, like, mythical stories of creations from the blood of gods that was spilled, like, came these creations or I don't know how how else if if dragons were an accident, how do you see them any other ways besides the spilled blood of gods? I like that. Um, 
if I were to do an accident, man, I don't really know how I would want to do that besides the spilled blood of gods, like, yeah. you know, something, you know, horrific happening, because it seems pretty hard to me for a god to, like, accidentally, you know, screw up on, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, creation of entity that powerful unless, you know, they there was something that a horrific happened to them, like a, you know, battle or, you know, everybody died or something like that. Um, so what, um, what if it was something like a, um, they were created by an evil God as they were leaving the pan, as they were like trying to create an enemy of the Pantheon, or what if it was like a, um, well, a blessing to the highest ranking followers of theirs. And then all of them ended up going astray. So they're like, well, never giving that again. Well, there was a thought that I had, too, that we, like, just incorporate them into the Pantheon. Yeah, or their gods as well. We make, yeah, where we make dragons that are gods and dragons that compete in the arenas and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Which could be fun as well. I think that yeah. could be a really fun idea. Like, maybe there was a god of dragons who, you know who a god who didn't feel as if they had equal representation so they created more dragons more you know kin like them Mm -hmm. um you know that could be something we go with which could be you know pretty easily explained but then it brings up the question do i want dragons to be part of this i kind of want dragons to be part of it in a way that's like negative like they are seen as part of the game and not as the participant does that make sense? Like a tiger in a gladiatorial arena, mm-hmm. right? Where they are, they are the pieces to, you know, use within a, an arena, not participating themselves to gain followers within an arena. Cause I like the idea of the Pantheon. Um, I like the idea of the Pantheon treating them like animals, even though they're not animals. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So then it makes me think, well, what if we had like, you know, we started the world by the gods, you know, fought over it, right? And created, you know, different things through their battles and through their creation expression. Um, But what if the world was like ruled over by something else before they got here? Like if we did dragons and dragon, you know, dragon kind and they dominated over dragon kind and beat up dragon kind and then formed the world how they wanted, like restarted, destroyed the whole world to a blank slate so that they could make their own creation. Hmm. So originally this world was inhabited by dragon and dragon kind and primordials and stuff like that. You know, the, the forces of this, you know, world, you know, like dragons are the ultimate incarnation of, you know, the elements like a fire and lightning and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And so they are, they were with the primordials or something in the beginning of the world. And then the gods came and destroyed it into a blank slate so that they could create the world of their dreams. But I don't know if I like that either. <laughs> hmm. Thoughts. Um, do you like the accidental creation route? Like dragons being accidentally created by the gods through like, I think it's interesting. I also like, I normally try to have at least one God, uh, or at least one of the deities in my world as a dragon, like a dragon just lived for so long and became so powerful. It got granted the power of a God. So those are both really fun things to play with. 
my brain actually started going towards elementals for some reason. And so I was... I mean, we could do something like... We could do something like my world where one of the dragons gained favor among all dragon kind and became a god and now participates in the events. Because mm. that's essentially what happened in my world is one dragon rallied everyone together and gained all their support and became incredibly powerful. Yeah. So, you know, we could do something like that. And then we have this dragon who, you know, like maybe like at the beginning of his gladiatorial arena, he'd fly down then he would turn into like his polymorph form and land with the sword or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you could do something like that. Now, could I, could I go somewhere weird with you? Yeah. Feel absolutely. free to say no. This is just where my mind is going. What if the gods of different, like, that that had domains they'd taken of different elements created elementals of a bunch of different variants and such? Okay. Eventually, these elemental, I mean, these elementals were sentient beings, and some of them began to not like their gods very much. So they wanted to escape, leave their god, and, and just kind of live their life away from the showmanship of these games and such they tried to hide in the creatures of the world like little lizards and geckos and things like that but when they hid inside them they kind of mutated the creatures and they became these giant beings of elemental energy and eventually the gods put a stop to it like whoa like you can't like this is not okay so maybe like elementals are pretty much unheard of nowadays but like before elementals used to be a major part of any god's retinue and so okay. like some became of... like it, it, all reptile modern reptile kind would have grown from this so like the the uh lightning behirs would have been a, a lightning element uh, energy elemental that went into some sort of gecko or something. Okay. I think that's a very interesting start. I think that's a, a very interesting idea of, you know, these elementals didn't enjoy the, you know, frivolous nature of the gods. Yeah. And so they ended up hiding from them. Because I think that's really fun. That's essentially what my world, how my world starts as well. Um, with neutral gods, they didn't like the behavior of the gods of light or demon lords, and they fled to the material plane, and that's where they hid. Mm. Um, and so I think I like, I love that concept. What if we kind of like combined it, a lot of these ideas, and like the world that the gods came to where we, we kind of start with that base thing of it was like ruled by these elementals and primordials, right? Like the the base elements of the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fire, water, earth, you know, lightning, all that kind of stuff. And the gods, when they took over the world, they gave them a section of the world that is now theirs that they can live in. But the rest is the gods' world and they created the rest of it. So mm -hmm. maybe we have like a not an undiscovered continent, but a forbidden continent where it is, you know, a wild, untamed place. And maybe that's part partly where we, you know, a lot of the gods get their monsters and things for this tournament. 
Yeah. Um, it's like a wild and untamed place controlled by the primordials and element elementals. And I love the idea of how elementals originally fled and claimed that place as they, you know, inhabited creatures that they turned into dragons, you know, or turned what if into they, these, What you know, if they elemental. just um, claimed the area and lived on there and just the living in proximity to these creatures, it slowly mutated the smaller reptilian beings on that island or continent or whatever into the large beast we know as dragons today. I mean, I love that. I think that's a really very so instead unique. of <laughs> instead of them going inside, it was a proximity and exposure to the raw energy and raw elemental magics of uh, elements. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe we have it where. There's like a treaty, like how the gods made a treaty with themselves about these games. They also made one with these, you know, elementals and primordials saying, if you just agree to stay in this section of the world, we won't, you know, subjugate you to our rule in terms of like these games and you guys can live on your own. But in return, you provide us with these interesting monsters for gladiatorial arenas and show. Mm hmm. That could be something that's interesting, too. You know, later down the road, if the gods did something like that instead of wiping them out. Yeah. I like or the idea of finding just, these creatures and use trying to use them to make the games more interesting. Yeah. Because I think that's... I mean, if I'm thinking about the world, like, I just think that's probably what the gods would do if they're, if they're so into, you know, this frivolous, you know, this flaunting of you know their abilities and gaining followers they'd probably take advantage of the natural elements of this world and the natural you know beings of this world to you know enhance the game experience you know yep to give it a little spice so 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 to speak and so it'd be interesting if they had like an area set aside that they did not tamper with you know so that they could exist and live in relative peace until the gods want something from them, you know, to spice up their games. Um, it could be very interesting. And it could also add a whole lot of political drama, um, you know, if people found out. <laughs> if, like, the party found out if, like, something weird like that was happening. Um, mm -hmm. You know. So and maybe even like element like air genasis and stuff like that came from came from there as well. You could do something like that, too. Is is the island the like where they went still around? Is it hidden? Is it known about what's what's the current condition of it? I mean, I think it would probably be like a forbidden and hidden land that like, you know, it's its own continent type thing where mm -hmm. nobody really steps foot because it's just not even, you know, and maybe there's even stories of like beyond the shores is where, you know, the, you know, the reach of the gods ends or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, but we don't go there because if you go past the seas, you know, it's certain death, you know, like th those kind of weird little folk tales could be yeah. a thing that's a, that occurred or people just don't think about it anymore because they just don't think about it at all because this is the only place they've ever known. This is the only thing that's ever been, you know. The only thing that's ever been, you know, the land that they're on, the one, the one that God's created. Or, you know, we could just do a very standard. There was a dragon God and he created dragons, you know, and he participates in these games. We can, you know, maybe, I mean, if we went that route too, you could do maybe the dragon God 
created the dragons for the purposes of the games as well as part of his participation in the games. So maybe he has his own unique contract where these dragons are, you know, you know, so powerful and strong that, um, they're one of those final, you know, once in a lifetime battles that are, you know, very risky. Yeah. And he gets certain amount of followers for producing dragons or whatever. Right. But like maybe his art of expression and his way of gaining followers is creating these, you know, these dragons as part of the games and he gains followers because people start rooting on the dragons. <laughs> so you could do something like that too. Oh, I love the green dragon. He's so cool. He survived a round. You know, he survived a, a combat. And then the the god gains gains power. So his his whole goal is to make his dragons live past adulthood into ancient dragon status so that he can gain more power. So these the finalized story of of dragons in our world. Is it the dragon god? Is it the elementals on a plane? Is it proximity? Is it going into to escape? What 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 is the finalized? What do you think? What do you want? I kind of like the island thing where they they escape to that other continent or island and then the creatures around them kind of get changed by the proximity of this like raw magic. Yeah, I'm, I'm and then down with that. I think that's I a really think fun that idea. some of them, some of those creatures eventually do come back and join in. On the, on the games? On the games, yes. And I think I think like yeah. dragons become a major like I, I think I think it starts out as an unsure thing, and then I think the kind of way that dragons get like their kind of um modern uh stereotypes of modern dragons being greedy and all these things are by the ones that humanity sees the most are the ones who are involved in the games who are greedy and all these things and like the the dragons who are the opposite are the ones who didn't go back so like the all all humanity sees is the ones that are involved in the games yeah and that's why they came back because they were greedy and they wanted more power yes and that's the best way to get more power is to be involved in the games Yes. Uh, well, so do you think they get power in the same way that gods do? I don't see why not. I kind of want it to be a. a it. I kind of want it to be a reserved thing. I kind of want it to be, um, like maybe one or two have been blessed with whatever the ceremony is that the gods need to do to allow you to gain power that way, but like the majority of them do not gain any power that way. I, I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. So I think I, I picture them just as like basic normal combatants, right? Where yeah. like, you know, any saint can rise up the ranks and eventually become, you know, incredibly powerful if, mm -hmm. you know, they do such a thing and then maybe even enter godhood or whatever and not enter godhood, but, you know, enter the the ranks of followers and stuff to gain power. Yeah. So I think it's probably the same similar thing, but with dragons. Um, and I only think it's, even more so especially reserved for only like the smartest dragons who have kind of outsmarted humanity and have gotten themselves into the arena because I still think a lot of them are going to be used as, you know, uh, toys of the arena, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe like wyverns are like the, you know, even lower the dragons should have been. Yeah. Or like should have been and you know, but the dragons managed to, you know, outsmart some of the gods in some ways. 
you know, yeah, or like, yeah, even lower down, right? So, you know, hard, just complete monsters that have been captured and taken over. Yeah, like most so, wyverns in D and D are supposed to be beastly. They're 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 not yep. intelligent or sentient. They're just beasts of different type. They look draconic in nature, but they are not. As yep. now, these dragons that compete are they competing as like mercenaries? Are they do they have to compete under a god? Are they like because I mean the the games are all for the god's growth. So do they make well, the requirement be that you have to be doing this under the banner of a god to be competing? Okay, here's my idea. And let me know if you don't like this because I'm very unsure about it. What if we had a dragon who is a god that disguises himself not as a dragon? Like he's fooled. He participates in these arenas as like a polymorphed form. What if it's the other way around? What do you mean? A god that, for the games, true polymorphs into a dragon. Into a dragon. And so he, it started as, like, oh, I can get these, I can get these dragons on my side. And now he just, like, the majority of the time keeps the drag, keeps his dragon form on. Yeah, I like that a lot. And people, uh, people who like the dragons in the gladiatory arena all love him and think he's the coolest, so he gains you know, followers from that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. I like that. I think that would definitely be a thing. Well, but I think there needs to be a dragon who at the very least is approaching that godhood mark within the arena. Who's like faking being a human. Cause I think that'd be a very interesting and fun thing. Uh huh. Because dragons are really smart. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> you know? are. Like, dragons are really capable and really, really strong at, you know, so it could be a fun little, you know, maybe his ultimate goal. Maybe it's like a side little mission where his ultimate goal is to like end the arena and become the ruler of the arena or whatever. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like a red dragon or whatever. Yeah. He's <laughs> like his goal is to dominate over everything, but he can't he can't become his true form because he'll, you know, <laughs> can be interesting and fun. Well, I think I'm going to cut us off there. Okay, that okay. will do it for episode 93 of Dungeoneered. Oh, yeah. Thank you all for listening. And if you listen to us on any podcasting apps that have ratings and reviews, it really helps the show. If you write a review by uh, showing you're engaging in more ways than just one, it also uh, kind of helps the it it shows the um, podcasting app that they should promote our show a little bit because people like it. Um, Woo. And if you would like to write to us, you can write to us at dungeoneered at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, lukewarm opens, or anything in between. Anything else you can think of, Aaron? No, I don't think so. Well, as I always say, always remember to be the sharpest barrel in the bunch. See you next time. Bye! Bye!